Welcome to Understand Suicide, the podcast of journalist and therapist Paola Fontanelli. Since her father's suicide in 2005, Paola has dedicated her life to breaking the silence around this most stigmatized of subjects. Her book, Understanding Suicide, Living with Loss, Paths to Prevention, was nominated for the National Book Award in Brazil, and the English edition is now available on Amazon. But Jeffrey was really close to his book. I think when I stop being emotional about it, I'll be in the ground. Yeah. I mean, it's just 19 years ago, and it still affects me the way it does. So I tell people, it's kind of like the ocean. Sometimes the waves just slam up against your ankles, and sometimes the, the wave just slams you. Hello everyone, welcome to my podcast and my YouTube channel. Today we have with us Army Major General Mark Graham. Thank, thank you so much for your service first, sir, and thank you Thanks, for being Paul. here with us. Well, Mark is one of us. Unfortunately, he has lost a loved one to suicide, and he's also become a mental health advocate after that. Mark has had huge losses. Uh, he lost his son, Kevin, to suicide. And then seven and a half months later, his other son, Jeffrey, he was killed in Iraq. So we're going to talk about grief today and how his family survived. And that's the word really for that. I mean, how do you survive the loss of two kids in less than a year? So we're going to talk about the family dynamics, how each one of you, he has a daughter and a wife. So how each one of you dealt with the grief and the compounded grief of two kids in one family. So Mark, thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, thank you, Paula. And we'll also talk about your beautiful work at Vets for Warriors. He's the director for Vets for Warriors, and we're going to talk about the support network at the end. But I would love to talk about Kevin first. So in retrospect, we know that when we look back, we see so many things, Mark, that we didn't see in the past. So I'm wondering how you see your son's death now from how it felt and what it looked like and all that mess that comes with suicide. So what is the difference between then and now? Yeah, thanks, Paula. Well, first, uh, thank you for doing this for the podcast and the YouTube channel to help Carol and I and Melanie and so many others. And um, our hearts go out to everyone that's listening or watching, and we're so sorry for your loss. Thank you. Uh, and, and the pain and grief you're going through and will continue to go through. I mean, mm -hmm. we lost Kevin in, in uh, June of 2003. So 19 years ago, feels like yesterday. Mm -hmm. Many mornings I still get up and think it's all a bad dream or someone else's story mm -hmm. because it's still hard to believe that it's our story. Um, so when we first lost Kevin, our world was over with one phone call. And Jeffrey called us to tell us. Um, so his brother and, called. We were. I was stationed in South Korea okay. at the time, so Carol was with me in South Korea, and uh, Jeffrey called and, and and told Carol and I. I answered the phone, and he told me, and then I told Carol, um, and so we our world was over. We came back to the states, and uh, within 24 hours, we were back in the states, um, and you know, just broken. Just didn't know 
what was next. We were, yeah. as a family, I, I think one thing that we knew Kevin was struggling. We knew he was, we knew he had depression. We just, we just, you know, and I say it over and over. We, we knew he was sad. We didn't know you could die from being too sad. I mean, mm-hmm. we just didn't know enough about it. Certainly back then, there's so many more resources now and information, which is helpful. But if you lose someone to, to suicide or any other way, you know, you weren't aware of it either. You never think, oh, this could happen to my family, uh, but yeah. it can, and it's real. And I think the the big change for us was it was it was a real illness, and we didn't understand that at the time. Mm. We knew he was sad. He was on depression medication. We thought, okay, he's on some medication. You know, that'll help so him. So he's and, been treated, right? You think, oh, he's getting so better. He, he never he never got treated at a, probably a high enough level. He mm. he got he, he got some help. So he was on medication. He was embarrassed that he was on the medication. Mm. I think the stigma was part of it. I think we were part of the stigma. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, uh, you know, we, even though we didn't say anything to him, I think he felt it that way. Yeah. He didn't want anyone to know his brother and sister lived in the same apartment. And they did not know he was on depression medication until someone happened to see a wrapper in the trash can in his bedroom mm. uh, and said something and care. That really was hard for Kevin. Oh. Uh, he was crushed by that, but we saw him 30 days before he died. He was in the best physical shape I've ever seen him in. Mm-hmm. He said, Dad, I'm, I'm working out twice a day. I'm running. I'm in the gym. Mm-hmm. Uh, in his closet, we found a stack of men's health magazines, dog-eared, where he tried to find how what are natural ways to raise his serotonin to keep him healthy. So when we first lost him, we were devastated by the loss, and, and we still are. But I think one of the keys for us is we never blamed each other. Oh, we yes. never blamed each other for the for Kevin's death. We we all loved Kevin. He was wonderful and he had an illness. And we we I mean, we each blame ourselves, I think, in a way that we didn't get him the help he needed. Even though he was on medication, we didn't understand it. So we didn't talk about it with him as much. He talked, he would say things to us that would think, you know, wow, you know, he's he's really sad. Um, and Carol would hand me the phone or I would hand her the phone back and you know, we try to, you know, Kevin, well, you know, what do you need to do? Get, you know, drop out of school, whatever you need to do. And he said, no, dad, I'd be a quitter. You know, oh. see, the even freedom. the words now, right. When you listen to them, yeah. that's, that's the shame associated with, with being sick. Yeah. So I, you know, he didn't, you know, he didn't want to be seen as a quitter, you know, and Kevin was want to be an army doctor and, uh, but his grades, you know, and we didn't know his grades were slipping, but he told his mom, um, uh, one night, right before he, right before he died, he told us, well, not, I guess not right before he died, but before we knew, he, uh, one of the last calls we have with him, he said, his brain's not working anymore. Wow. And, and of course, that's something that we now look back and think, wait, what? I mean, that, so we, you know, we, we wanted, we should have got him to a higher level of care. I think, you know, he was, mm. he was being seen at the clinic at the university, which is fine, but that's, you know, that it was, you need more than that. I think, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and he probably needed to take some off, take a knee, drop, maybe stop school for a semester or something, but take a knee and, and get better, get get help. And you always wish you knew now, you know, what you didn't know then. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I, I just hope those listening and those watching, if you've got someone in your family that's struggling, it's serious and it's real, do not wait. Mm-hmm. Get, get, them, get, get them the right care now. Mm-hmm. Uh, please, please don't wait because it's serious. And it's real. And it is an illness. I mean, it, uh, you know, sometimes we try to characterize it as not as an illness, but, you know, something else. But it's an illness. Uh, depression is is real. Yeah, yeah. 
I, I was looking at you talking about the phone call and it brought me back, of course, memories of my sister calling me and telling me about my dad. But what I was paying attention and I noticed that it, and that's what, like you said, grief is constant, right? It's here. It changes its shape and intensity, but it's here and it's real. When you were talking about the call, it felt like it was that day for you. The confusion, the shock, you were like, I, you didn't even know how to, how to refer to that day. And that's how, what it feels like, isn't it? And how it affects, do you remember that day? Cause I, I only remember the call and that's it. And then after that, the day is a blank for me. I didn't remember that day. You do? Uh, it's, yeah, sadly, it's one I'll never forget, but I do remember the call. It was 10 o'clock at night for us in Korea. Because mm -hmm. uh, we were different time zones. So it was a in the day, in the morning in uh, Kentucky, but it was nighttime in Korea. It was 10 o'clock at night. Carol and I were in bed. Mm. And uh, when Jeff called, I told Carol, Carol just ro rolled out of bed onto the floor. So I immediately started worrying about Carol and then of course. Uh, worrying about Jeffrey and Melanie, who were still back in Kentucky. Uh, Carol has, you know, some family in Kentucky, so they were able to to be right to be there immediately to to support Melanie and and, uh, and Jeffrey. So that uh, that helped to know that they were there. But then we were back very fast. I mean, you know, and so I. But I do remember that call. I'll never forget it. So one of the yeah. two worst days of my life. Man. Yeah, and, you know, and it sounds like Kevin was really making an effort when you said he he was in the best physical shape of his life. I immediately thought he was self-medicating with exercise he was i mean uh he was also drinking too i mean at nights and stuff he was drinking too i mean and uh and i think that's part of the way to mask mask the pain mm -hmm. uh but he was raising his serotonin letter, level as best he could i mean i when i hugged him when i so we went we flew back to the states in may of 2003 because jeffrey was graduating from the university of kentucky with a degree in engineering mm -hmm. and then the next day i i uh, i commissioned him the day prior into the army as a second wow. lieutenant, and uh, I grabbed Kevin and hugged him, and I, he's, he was solid as could be, I, and I told him, Kevin, I, you're in great shape, so physically, things were great for him, but mm -hmm. inside, he was struggling so hard, and 30 days later, he was gone, he'd taken his life, and wow. that fast, I mean, that fast, so yeah. I, we think he stopped taking his medication, because he didn't want the Army to know when he signed into the uh, leadership mm -hmm. camp. Yeah, and, and that's the deceiving thing about mental illness, isn't it? You look at someone who's, oh, they look great. You look great, you're great, right? Yeah. But it's just the outside, but you can't be just... It's the mask. Yeah. It's the mask. Kevin was, you know, he he was funny. He was smart and bright, funny. I mean, uh, but oftentimes, you know, he he uh, we didn't see him. I didn't see him in those periods when he was so sad. And, and, you know, he could, because he hit it, he didn't want anyone, you know, to know, cause he was embarrassed by it. And I, I think he thought it was a character flaw or something and not, you know, and just, uh, we thought it was just a sad feeling, but it, it's so real. And it, and I, that's one of the key things we learned and we try to tell others is one is we want Kevin's life to have meaning. Kevin, sadly, our story might be able to help someone else to, to work through their grief or to help prevent a suicide just by knowing you know, get someone to care, you know, get, get them, get them to care, you know, uh, talk to young people. I mean, we sit around the kitchen table and I'm not sure if we do it as much as we used to years ago, but 
you know, we do talk about maybe medical history of our families, but do we talk about mental health history? And it's important. Yeah, to talk. We only talk about diabetes, heart problems, right? Hypertension. Exactly right. Exactly right. Yeah. You know, when I went to school and one of the things that they make us do is what they call a genogram. So mm -hmm. genogram is like a family tree except that you, you really dig into it and you talk about addictions in your family and you have to like call, I had to call my parents, my uncles and say, do you have any kids with addictions? What kind of addiction? So you can see the family map of addictions, relationship patterns, communication patterns, uh, mental health, any depression or any kind of mental illness. We have to kind of chart it on a page so that you have, like you said, it's not, a, it's not about the physical disease, right? How about, the, what about all the, all the rest that we forget? Cause we don't, we just don't. Yeah. It's the invisible wounds, right? It's the invisible wounds and not just the invisible wounds of war, but the invisible wounds of life mm -hmm. and, and being an illness. I mean, if there was a way you could visibly see someone struggling with depression or any kind of mental illness, then it would be different. But since you can't see it, you know, it's so hard for the person that's dealing with it and for others. Because mm -hmm. if you could see it, you'd say, hey, you know, something's wrong. Let's go get you help. Mm -hmm. But it's so hard. So we have to we have to learn to pick up on the on the words or things people say or their behavior. If they're changed their behavior, we need to notice that. And it's not it's not easy to talk to them about it. Mm -hmm. I'm sure. I mean, I, I mean, I think it's everyone knows now. I think it's hard to talk to someone about it. Sometimes I think they're in denial too. I, I they don't. And want it's to hard to hear, right? Are you it ready is. to hear? Right, right. It's not just asking. I mean, what what's going to be even your reaction? How are you going to? Re so you have this one of the things I have a course on how to help suicidal people, and one of the things I said before you talk to them, you have to do some soul searching. How are you going to deal with the fact that they may they might say, yeah, I'm thinking about suicide? What are your views, personal views on suicide? How are you, what are you going to say next? You have to think about these things before you even ask the question. Yeah, great point. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah because depending on your tone of voice, the question can be so different. You can say, listen, I can see you're struggling. You're not doing well. How can I help you? Are you okay? That's one question, right? The other one is, oh, I, you're not doing okay. Are you thinking about suicide? You're not, right? That's the same question, but very different outputs, right? Right, right. Very, very different. Very yeah. different. Yeah, yeah. If you typically ask somebody, you know, how are you doing? Are you doing okay? Almost every time someone says, so, yeah, I'm fine. Yeah, I'm fine. All, all good. Yeah. All good. Have you read Andrew Solomon's book, The uh, Midday, uh, Midday Demon? No. It's one of the best, Andrew Solomon, and he has a wonderful book on, on depression. I interviewed him for my book, and he told me a story of an, he calls him the ex-friend, <laughs> because he decided after he struggled with suicidal ideation and depression and all of that, and when he decided to turn his life around, and one of the things he decided was, I'm never going to say I'm okay if I'm not okay, right? So this friend of his comes to him and goes, oh, how, how are you doing, Andrew? And he goes, you know, I'm not doing well. I have I've been getting treatment for depression. I was really struggling a few. And he starts to tell, you know, the story, the, the reality of his life. And the friend is, oh, it's so good to, to see you and just leaves. I mean, that's, that's what I mean. But how are you going to react? It's not just a question. Right. Is, are, you, are you ready to take that in, right? Yeah, right. And what so, do you and do? If they do yeah, struggle, what do you do? 
Yeah. And you get them to, you get them to help. And he said, yeah, that became my ex friend <laughs> immediately because what are you going to do? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Mark, you said something that I want to go back to. You said uh, you talked about the shame and that Kevin had you think that he might have stopped medication because he didn't know the army to know. So that's one of the things that I'm sure that with the work that you're doing now with Vets for Warrior, you I'm sure you tackle that subject all the time. But how do you think the army or the military culture is looking at mental illness now? Do you see any? Because we know that, you know, the tough it up and that that's like the profile of the military training, right? And and for obvious reasons, you have to tough it up if you're going to be a soldier, but that affects everything else. As mm. you said, I mean, Kevin might have been ashamed of taking medication for depression. So I don't want the army to know because otherwise I'm not fit, right? So how how can you navigate between these two realities? It's hard, mm. very hard. And I think the military's done some, some good work in this area. Uh, there's much more work to do and it's gotta be consistent across the board. Uh, it can't be one installation, the environment or the culture there is one way that, that's accepting and helping and getting, you know, it's okay to come forward and get help. But then when the army or any of the services move you to another installation or another service location, the environment's different there. That that really will confuse people. So we got to be consistent. And I think mm -hmm. it's hard to be consistent in huge organizations. Um, but it doesn't mean it can't be done. It just means it's hard to do. Um, so I think we got to be consistent, not just in the military, but in civilian life as well, and employers and everyone. One is if you if you get if you have an employee that's struggling with depression and they get help, they will be a better employee. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, not only for them, but for you know, for for the organization, it's everyone win. I mean, everyone doesn't win. Everyone is better. I mean, the, the the individual better. They feel better. Their life is better. That they'll probably do better work. I mean, everything's better if we get people help. I oftentimes when I speak, I'll ask people if I told you I was on blood pressure medicine, would that bother you? And I said, sure, it probably wouldn't bother most of you. You know, you're like, oh, good. I'm glad you're getting the care you need. What if I told you it's on depression medication? Would you react differently? And I said, don't answer the question, but I know many of you would. <laughs> many of you would look at me differently if I told you that compared to, oh, I'm on blood pressure medicine. Okay, well, that's good. I'm glad you're getting the, the care you need. We need to we need to make the conversation the same. So if you're on depression medication, the answer should be, oh, I'm glad you're getting the help you need. <laughs> How you doing? Is that going okay? Yeah. Yeah. But we, we we just haven't gotten there yet. I mean, I think we've made some progress. And I think what you're doing is helping. Uh, absolutely. Uh, but, I, but I do think there's still work to do. And that's one reason Carol and I have been have spoken out and gone because we wanted our, our, the loss of our sons to have meaning and, and, and Kevin's and uh, our kids are very close. They, they were very close. I mean, you move them around the world together. Mm. They get close. Yeah, of course. They have the, so it's what they have, right? The friends come and go because with the military life you move a lot. Right. And that's what you have, you two brothers and sisters, right? Yeah. Let's talk about grief within the family. Uh we know that for some, for some family, it's a huge, I mean, grief is a struggle, period. But when it's suicide, it comes in with even more, I think. Uh, some peculiarities that yeah. come with suicide, like the shame, the possible blaming, the questions, the what ifs, and all the shoulds. And how was it for your family? How did you navigate the different 
styles or ways and processes of grieving within the family. Yeah, we all processed it differently. We all grieve differently. I think oftentimes we look at parents, but we kind of forget the siblings. Um, Melanie really struggled too in her own, in a different way than we did. I mean, she dropped out of school because it was just too hard. I mean, yeah. uh, but we, that was okay at that point. We were, we, that was okay with us because we knew she needed a, she needed a break. She needed, it was too much and we, and we understood it. So Carol went to every support group she could find. She was connected to people and everything else. I was the opposite. I mm -hmm. threw my into work. I, uh, I didn't go to support groups. I, um, I, I, you know, I, I would be home alone at my, with my grief and, uh, it was very different. And so I, I think for me, it's important to know that that's okay. Everyone grieves differently and don't try to make another loved one or a friend or someone grieve the way you think they should be grieving. Let them grieve the way it works for them. But I think the key is to grieve. You have to grieve. If you don't, if you don't grieve, you can't move forward. I mean, I don't know how long it was after we lost Kevin. And then, of course, Jeffrey, after we lost Kevin, I thought I should never be allowed to be happy again the rest of my life. How, how can I ever think I should be able to smile or be happy again? And it took a long time before I could ever laugh again. I mean, I, I just couldn't do it. I just I thought, you know, who are you to be able to laugh again? And and Carol felt the same way. I mean, that. You weren't, and then eventually, because of you know, faith, family, and friends, as I say, faith, family, and friends are what got us through and continue to get us through our grief and our loss and each other. And I think the other important thing is we never blamed each other. Oh, good. Yeah. We never blamed the other about you know you shoulda, you didn't, or you, you know we never did that. We were always there to support each other, and you know, and be there for each other and whatever they needed in their grief and. And not to interfere with it, to you know, to let them grieve the way they grieved and be supportive. And I think that was very key that we didn't blame. I, I think oftentimes you see blame. Carol and I just celebrated 45 years uh, being married. Wow! And uh, which is a long time, but it uh, is, yeah, it is. But 19 years after we lost Kevin, I think many people it's a struggle to stay together. And I think part of it's because of blame. Mm -hmm. So I'd encourage people, you know. That that doesn't go anywhere if you blame someone else. I mean, it doesn't bring anyone back. Mm -hmm. And our goal was to help others know that there there is hope. There is help mm -hmm. to get help for individuals out there, so you don't ever have to go through it. But I think the other key thing is we have to be careful that I mean everyone's going through something, right? I mean everyone, either personally or someone else you know or a coworker, or so everyone's going through something. Don't compare grief. Don't compare your journey and what you're going through to others, but be there for others and, and, uh, and know, like you said, know what to do. If, if they do say they need help, what do you do? Be ready for that. Do you have a friend or a loved one who struggles with suicidal thoughts, ideation, or even previous attempts? If you do, I have some information for you. I know that the situation is scary, and many times we want to do the best we can to help, but we don't know how. Over the course of my 15 years working in this field, I have learned how to address these issues, and that's what I want to share with you. And for that, I have just created an online course that will guide you step by step 
on how to sit down and have this difficult conversation. The course is called How to Help Suicidal People, and I purposely took a very straightforward approach so that when you finish, you will feel prepared to take action in a safe, non-judgmental, and compassionate way. You will learn about the mental state of a suicidal person, how it impacts the way they view their personal crisis, how to bring hope into the conversation, how to prepare yourself to listen to them, especially when they talk about their emotional pain, how to create a safety plan, how to assess their risk level, and much, much more. The course comes in six modules and it's all videos with very simple language and reading materials for quick reference. If you think that this course is for you, click on the link on my notes or go to my website understandsuicide.com and click on the course tab. There you can also watch a free sample and have more information about the course. Thank you. You said that there was no blaming, but even within the different styles of grieving, there is some, oh, well, you, she seemed, I, I remember I, I interviewed a couple and they never blamed each other, but one of them would tell me, yeah, but I would get so angry with him because he wouldn't talk to me. And he would say, yeah, and I was so angry with her because she was out with friends. How can you be out with friends? We just lost a kid. So even, even these differences, they, they can bring some very challenging emotions and, and yeah. communication, right. yeah, and, dynamics. And I, think, and I think that's exactly a great point. There's no, there's no quote, perfect way to deal with it. There's no right way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you, you gotta find your own path, but I think you have to walk very gently on that path mm-hmm. because we're all very fragile at this point. When we lost Kevin, we were really, we were that we were very very fragile. All of us in our own way, yeah. Yeah. we were fragile. You know, you know. I'm an, here. I am an army guy, right? And oh yeah, I was. I mean, I was broken, broken. Yeah. I didn't know. You didn't know how to, to deal with it, did you? Uh, I'm sure uh, because this is not. It was just not in the culture, right? Right. Right. Yeah, I know because looking back at my dad, my dad was a military man too. He loved the army. He was in the army for 14 years and. You looked at my dad and you knew, even though he had left the service, you knew that he was a military person and my dad would not externalize anything. Yeah. Everything was always great. Yeah. And then he was drinking every day. Right. Yeah. And I, and I did get help. I, I did finally go get help, and I, but it was really hard to do that. Uh, mm. But uh, because Melanie and Carol both said, you know, I wasn't sleeping and, mm. uh, when I went back to work after we lost Kevin, it took a while. I went back, uh, I went back to work and I had a, a very important job at a military installation, mm-hmm. and, but I just wasn't sleeping. And Melanie and Kara both said, Dad, you, you know, and Mark, you, get, you, you really need to go get help. So I finally went and got help. Uh, but I'll tell you what, that first step is really hard. Mm-hmm. But once I took the first step, I realized it, it was the right step and I did need help. And, and I was able to start sleeping. And, and, and it, it, it changed, it helped change me to, to be able to sleep. So I think, and, and I don't think it's just harder quote for men than it is women. I think it's, it's just individuals. It's some people, it's harder to go get help. Some people aren't, they're just not able to just 
yeah, I need help. And it was hard to do. But uh, once I did, I was glad I did. So I encourage you, if you're listening, if you're watching, uh, please get help for you or someone else. Take them to get help. Or if you're struggling and, and haven't gone, go get help. There's, there is help and hope. Uh, and uh, we yeah. live one day at a time. We still, I mean, I still do. I mean, I still live one day. I mean, I still, it's still hard for me to believe we've lost both our sons. I, I just, it just, my mind still can't comprehend it. And you would think, you know, it's been a long time. Or when someone says, gosh, aren't you past that now? Ugh. I mean, and, you know, we don't have people say that to us now, but I mean, early on, mm-hmm. you know, a few months after or so, people would, you know, say things like that to Carol more than me. Mm-hmm.H, and no, Fast we're not. Time. Yeah. Well, so Mike, say, I think that's the other thing that's important for everyone to know for me is when people say things and then and they seem inappropriate, it's probably because they don't know what to say. Mm-hmm. And but I would rather had somebody say something to me that really wasn't the right thing to say than not talk to me. And we had some that they didn't say a thing like yeah. they never did acknowledge or say anything. And and that really was hard. Like. Yeah, the silence a, kills you, doesn't it? It does. It's like, God, I can't believe you're not, you know. Uh, but I think it's because they don't know what to say. So they say nothing. And saying nothing's worse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I would rather someone at least try, right? I often say that if you don't know what to say, say that. Say, listen, That's exactly right. I don't know what to say. Right I have now, no words. I don't. Th- I have no words. Really, there is nothing I can say that will help you. I just want to right. to know that I'm here. Whatever exactly. you need. Exactly Period. Right. You don't have to 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 have the perfect sentence, but acknowledge the loss. Right. Exactly right. Yeah. 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 Mark, I make a point in on my podcast to give tools to my listeners. So I want to go back to the support and the family dynamics because you gave a great example of support. I mean, your daughter and your wife, they came to you, they were paying attention. And of course, we know that after suicide happens, everybody's highly aware of everybody after that in the family, right? Very attuned to their mental state, emotional state. And they came to you and they said, dad, you need help. This is something that I did for my dad months before he died. I could tell he wasn't okay. And I said, dad, you need to see, you need to see someone. So he did see, but again, didn't do the treatment because of the shame and all of that. But anyway, you gave a great example of support. What does, I want to help those who are listening and they're saying, wow, I'm, I'm struggling with my husband or with my wife or within the family. What what does support look like? Can you give another example that can help them to navigate uh, the grief within the family? Because it, it might be uh, sometimes you're just drifting away and away and you don't know how to pull yourselves back yeah, together. I, I think contact a friend and maybe a friend can reach them, an army buddy, you know, a military, a military, another military veteran, a friend, um, someone who's worked in their field, someone they've known or played sports with growing up or went to school with. Uh, going up that, that you recall that you think they're close to. And uh, now that would be putting something on someone too. Uh, mm-hmm. say, hey, you know, I'm I'm worried about my dad. Or I'm worried about my son or my child, brother or sister. But I know you have a connection with them. You know, would you be willing to reach out and just mm-hmm. talk to them? Yes, a great point. And, uh, yeah. and, and see if they would. And I, I think 
because you never know who's going to connect. You never know who's going to be the one that makes the connection. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and also, if you are struggling within like the marriage, do you have anything that you can think of that would help? Yeah, I think if you're struggling with the marriage, I think it's it's it, it, it's that we didn't go through that. We we, uh, we we luckily did not go through that, but I think many many families do. And uh, sadly, it ends up in divorce and uh, and everything. I I think again, I think some way somebody else can intervene. Another couple that knows you, another mm-hmm. friend or family member that knows you, and, and can even say, hey, you know, I you are I know you all are struggling together. Have you gone to see someone together? Have you gotten some help together? Um, just to, even though they might not want to do it or they might not do it, but you, someone saying something to them, one is sometimes I think you don't even realize, you know, you can't see yourself sometimes. Mm-hmm. And sometimes just someone else mentioning it, it might be like, wow, it's that obvious. Wow. Maybe we do need to get some help together. Maybe we do need to work on this together. Um, mm-hmm. because as I always tell people, you know, you were there together before kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you know, get back, try to do that again, you know, and, and it doesn't all, you know, I, I understand it doesn't always work, but I, I think someone else saying something to you sometimes helps because mm-hmm. it's not you talking to each other. It's someone else saying they see it too. Yeah. Yeah. It's great that you mentioned that because Terry Cheney that I just interviewed, uh, my listeners might have listened to her interview already. And she was the one who introduced you to me and she she told me that one of the things that she has done in the past because she she has bipolar disorder and she knows that sometimes as you said she can't tell that she's cycling so she has a couple of friends that have their like her um consent to say listen you're cycling you're doing this or you're doing that here are the signs and the symptoms because she of course it has to be someone you trust there has to be confidentiality of course but but she has a few friends that will tell her and she'll know, okay, um, I, it's time to, to just pay attention and, and do something. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, yeah, yeah that's great. Yeah. Mark, uh, you said that you never blamed each other. Did it happen from outside though? I mean, how did, did your religious community react? How did your friends react, family? Because we know that some weird things happen when suicide. Yeah, I, I think the religious piece was tough for a mm-hmm. lot of people mm-hmm. of how to handle that. Um, and and it was, I think it was hard for a lot of people. We knew friends and friends and and, and family and everyone. I think that that is that is a tough, a, a tough part. Um, I, I think, you know, as a nature, as a culture, we've come we've made progress in that area uh, because people are starting to realize this is an illness. Um and and it so it's real. So it, you know if you if you die of if you die of something else, then you know people don't say, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry you died of you know heart disease or heart attack or something. I'm sorry you lost someone. But when it's suicide, they think differently. So I think we've made a a turn a little bit in that way. But I think that others just I think don't recognize they see it as weakness. Like you know you know you know he was weak. You know and yeah. you know we and and you know I. We said in the past, you know, you know, you're tough and your kids end up doing really well. They don't have an illness or something like this. It's like, wow, you know, you did a great job, you know, mm-hmm. but if something, you know, if your kids are struggling, it's like, hey, you know, you know, you, what, you, you, you didn't do something right. 
and, and not realizing, yeah, we didn't do something right. We didn't get him to the proper, to the right level of care. We got him to some care, but we didn't know enough about it to really continue to follow up and all that with him um, and, and do that. So, so I think, I mean, I, I think that's, that's a tough one because people really react to different and they definitely react to different Kevin's death than Jeffrey's death. Mm-hmm. Jeffrey died a hero. Jeffrey was in combat. Was totally killed by different, right? Saved this man. Very different. You know, mm-hmm. his name was, in, you know, was, you know, is in the in the newspaper. People were sending us things, and everything else uh, because of that. And and you know, Jeffrey served, and he sadly died. You know, serving his country. But Kevin's death was a hard, honest. You know, hard is not harder than Jeffrey's death. I mean, they were mm-hmm. both hard. I'm not going to compare. It's them. hard, yeah, but it's different. Yeah. But it was very different how people reacted because. Hmm. People didn't, you know, many of our friends would just put their arms around us and it was like they're there. Many did not know what to say or what to do because it's so different. It's so different. So I I think it's important. The more, the more we talk about it, the more we learn about learn about it and, and understand, then I think yeah. the better will be that people can help others when they're grieving. Yeah. Uh, and not look at them like, you know, get, you know, it's a sideways look like. You know, whoa! You know how? You know how can that happen? You know how can that be? Yeah, the body language is different too, right? right. Very Even if they so. don't say anything, the way right. they look at you, yeah. yeah, there's so much judgment. And yeah, you just made this parallel between his death and, and Kevin's death and Jeffrey's death, and there is this useless, empty uh, that doesn't really help this discussion about suicide. Of suicide, is it? an act of bravery of, oh, are you a coward, right? Mm. But as you said, people use usually think think about suicide as, oh, he gave up or she gave up. But then you have Jeffrey who fought for his country, right? Yeah. Yeah, so of course the, the, the reaction will be different. You know, Kevin, uh, as I mentioned, Kevin was running every day, working out. And sometimes I'll even say, you know, Kevin was running for his life. Mm-hmm. He was running for his life. He was trying to get his serotonin level up, yeah. uh, doing all the things, you know, he was trying to eat healthy and do the things that he could do to keep his serotonin level up naturally because mm-hmm. he was ashamed of being on the medication. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, and, I, and I, that, that's the stigma. And again, I think we were part of that stigma. I mean, I do. Even though we didn't say things to him directly, uh, I think he probably felt some of that, that he didn't want to let us down. Mm-hmm. You, know, mm-hmm. you know, he didn't want to let us down. He didn't want to let anyone down. And he was embarrassed. And I, 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 so I think he was, he was literally running for his life, trying to do yeah. all he could himself, stay alive. Yeah. And that's one of the unfairness in the narrative of, about suicide to Mark, that you, we often think about the moment someone dies of suicide, it's all they remember, right? Who is Kevin? Oh, it's the, it's the boy who gave up or is the boy who died of suicide, took his own life. That becomes their whole identity. You forget all the rest of who they were, but you also forget how long did they fight against this, as you said, right? Because they didn't want to hurt you. And yeah, it, you only think about that moment when they couldn't take it anymore. But how about the many years that they had to endure it? Nobody talks about that. You know, we talk about family, but I think the other the other aspect of this is friends. The impact it had on Kevin's friends. Mm. I mean, he was in an apartment complex. They had a lot of friends. The impact it's had on his friend friends has has been 
Uh, and even those who weren't in school with him, I mean, friends he had from high school and before, they the impact on them has been huge. I mean, really? How so? Well, they all loved Kevin. I mean, you could not you couldn't know Kevin and not love. I mean, you know, he was just like that. I mean, he, and so they were all devastated by it. And and I think many of them like how did they even? I'm sure they haven't. Some of them have said it to us, but. I mean, so many of them, I think, are probably thinking the same thing. How did we not see this? How did we not see this coming or didn't do? So they felt guilt, too. I mean, they felt, you know, guilt, too, and and everything. So I think it's it's family, but it's also friends. I mean, and others, co-workers and all those, so other students and everyone who knew Kevin, they were shocked, right? They were just like, no, no, they they in disbelief, actually, mm-hmm. uh, because they didn't see it coming. And then when you look back, you know, you might see pieces here and there, but you didn't put it together. So I think that's the hard part is put the puzzle together before, mm-hmm. you know, before. And it's easy to say, hard to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. We Before we talk about Jeffrey, I want to acknowledge Melanie, because as you said, we often forget the siblings. Yeah. And I want to make sure we talk about her and her grief because I want to honor and I know that she, she was the one who found him. So that's an added layer of trauma. So how is Melanie doing? She's amazing. Yeah. She's uh she's amazing woman. And she uh she's had a you know, she's had a rough road and uh losing both brothers and everything she's gone through, but she uh she's always want she always wanted to be a nurse. She became a nurse and then uh, she finished school and became a, she became a nurse and continued on schooling. And she's now a nurse practitioner in New York City and she's helping other people. And that's what she wanted to do all of her life. So she's a mother of three wonderful kids and a, and a wife of a, a great husband and son-in-law. So Melanie's doing well, but it's I, I think it, you know, we, you have to be kind to yourself. Yeah. And it sounds like she was, I mean, she, she took, I, took some time off school and. Yeah. And I think that's a process and it took her Melanie a long time to get, get to, to get to the point where she could, could start thriving again, but it took Carol and I a long time too, to where we could get to that point. And we all did it in different ways. Uh, Melanie, you know, she, she's amazing. Yeah. 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 I wish I had more. I wish I had a better word. I mean, you know, I know, but I can see how proud you are of her that you don't, you can't even find words. Yeah. You just can't. Yeah. 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 It's and good she's to see sunshine that. in her days. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. I she gave us that. hope too. I can see it in your eyes. Yeah. She yeah. gave us hope too. It still does. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad we talked about her because I, I lost my brother, not to suicide, kind of suicide. It's one of those things that we don't know, but yeah, people just don't, don't talk. They, they talk about the parents and how about you? I mean, and I saw my brother go in and out of rehab before he died. And it's easier to talk about my dad than it is to talk about my brother. Mm. Yeah. Mm. It's tough. Anyway, so let's talk about Jeffrey. So I know, I I saw an interview that you gave and you talked about Jeffrey that he was getting ready to be deployed and then Kevin died and the army reassessed it and kind of gave him the option. But he came to you and and he said, dad, you know, I need to go. I need need to go. And he went to Iraq, right? 
Yeah. Do you think that that was part of his grief? I mean, he wants, because sure. it's painful to be around your family during that time, right? Do you think that was part of his process to, yeah. to be away and do it on his own? Yeah. I mean, Melanie wanted me to get out of the army right then. She, mm-hmm. she was, she, she saw we were at Carol's mother's house in Kentucky and Melanie said, dad, there's a house right across over there for sale. Why don't you just get out of the army and live here? Let's mm-hmm. just live here. And Jeffrey and I went out, went for a walk one uh, one evening, and we didn't go for walks. I mean, we ran together sometimes, but we didn't go for walks. And uh, while we were on a walk, Jeffrey looked at me in a way I'd never seen him look at me before, and he we just he just stopped walking. He looked at me, and said, "Dad, you know I've got to go." And I said, "No, you don't have to go. I mean, the army said you could stay and not have to deploy." And uh, and he said, "Dad, you know my men are waiting for me." And I said, "You don't have any men yet. You're still in." Officer basic course, you're not even, you haven't finished school yet for the army. And he said, dad, you, you know, my men are waiting for me. They're ready. They need their leader. They're ready for me and they need me. And so, you know, as a father, I didn't want Jeffrey to go. I mean, I, I didn't, uh, I need him. I told him, I said, look, I need you. Mom needs you. Melanie needs you. I didn't want him to go. Uh, but as a soldier, I understood why he felt like he had to go. And, and did he go partly because of Kevin? Cause he said, Kevin was with me all the time. Hmm. Yeah. So he said, oh, "Okay, son." But I did. I told him. I said, "Okay, you go, but you make sure when you go, you 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 bring all those soldiers home." Hmm. Um, and he they all came home, but he and one other soldier, uh, Roger Ling, uh, they were both killed by that ID uh, on the on the bridge that was detonated by cell phone. But I do think I I think maybe part of it was, you know, that he he, he didn't stop from going because. He lost his brother. I think part of the reason he, he was going because of Kevin. He like, okay, I'm going. Mm. Uh, and so I, and you know, I think you know the story of Jeffrey calling us that last night. We were talking to Jeffrey every day. He went to Fort Riley, Kansas mm-hmm. uh, to meet up with his unit. His unit was already deployed. He was at Fort Riley getting ready to go to join his unit in Iraq. And we were call, talking every night. He talked to Carol and then he would talk to me about Army stuff. And um, the last night, uh, before he deployed, he, we were on the, he was on the phone with Carol. He said, Mom, someone's at the door. I've got to go. Carol said, okay. And so we kind of expected him to call back pretty quick. It was hours before. And so we went to bed. We were sad because we really wanted to talk to him the night before he deployed. Mm. And uh, he called late and he was crying and Jeffrey wasn't a crier. Mm. He didn't cry much. He didn't show his emotions that way, in that way. And and he said, you know what? Soldier came to my door and said, "Are you the Are you the lieutenant whose brother killed himself?" Mm-hmm. And Jeffrey said, "Yeah, I am." And he said, I, "I need to talk to you." So we don't know what all they said. We just know when Jeffrey called, uh, talked to us. He he said, "I I I talked to this guy a lot differently than I would have if Kevin hadn't uh, died by suicide." Uh, and he told us, he told this young soldier, "Don't be like my brother. Don't take your life. You know, don't, don't do it. Get let's get it. Get help." Because you'll be missed more than you'll ever know the impact mm. you'll have, and it's important that you stay alive. Uh, so we don't know who that was or whatever happened, but Jeff asked Carol separately, and then me, and he said, "You know, there are a lot of Kevins out there." He goes, "Mom, promise me you and Dad will keep talking and and telling the story so that you know all, all the other Kevins out there will stay alive." Mm. And uh, Carol promised him. He said, "Please put Dad on the phone." And he asked me to make the same promise. So we did. And we continue to speak out and, and, and for all the Kevins out there. 
yeah. Who, who, who people they're out there and we want to make sure they all get help and we keep them all because everyone's everyone's irreplaceable no one can be replaced we're all individuals and you know everyone will be lost if we lose you so we want to keep everyone um so yeah well i mean that story is burning my brain i'll never forget that phone call yeah and the way it changed jeffrey i mean it you know it changed all of us but the way it changed jeffrey was dramatic as well really in what way oh they were really i mean they they were all three really close i mean they mm. but yeah. jeffrey was really close to his brother yeah i think when i stop being emotional about it i'll be in the ground yeah i mean it's just 19 years ago and it still affects me the way it does so i tell people it's kind of like the ocean sometimes the waves just lap up against your ankles and sometimes the, the wave just slams you because whenever i do one of these i always say okay i'm not going to lose it this time and i do every time you're not losing it mark you're just being no, I mean, human. You know, you're being a father that's all yeah. and I'm, i'm glad you feel comfortable showing yeah. your emotions here thank you Because you, you're actually modeling for my listeners that it's okay. Yeah. I and tell people, okay. I tell men it's okay to cry. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay to hug and it's okay to cry because I hug more than I've ever hugged in my life. Yeah. I lost my voice because something about just the human touch mm -hmm. is important. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you for that modeling. It's really important. And we're talking about also the military culture here, those who are listening. And we know that it's much, the rates are much higher for that population. Yeah. So there's so much risk for suicide. And I'm glad that they're seeing a major colonel here. General. <laughs> Is it a colonel or general? I always get these things. General. Yeah. General. Yeah. Uh, crying because it's okay. He's a father. He lost his son. And of course, he's yeah. going to cry. He lost two sons. And that's unsurmountable. I, Uh, only only parents can even begin to think and to relate to you. So thank you for that. So let's talk about your work with Vets for Warriors. What is it? What is the organization? And how can my listeners get in touch with it? Sure. So thank you for that. I, uh, I've been with Vets for Warriors almost nine years. Uh, when I retired from the Army, I wasn't sure what I was going to do. I, I wanted to do something to continue to in this space to give back, to, to help others know there's help out there. and and hope. And so I wasn't sure it would do. So about a year after I uh, retired from the army, I got a call about Vets for Warriors to, to come and, and uh, work at Vets for Warriors and lead the program. And um, and I did. So I've been here almost nine years. Vets for Warriors is a, uh, it's a peer support line. Uh, it's a national line. We hire veterans. We train those veterans uh, to answer the phones live within 30 seconds, 24 hours a day. Uh, so we never close. Uh, service members can call, veterans can call, family members can call. If you've ever worn the uniform of our nation's military, you can call the line or anybody, that, anyone you consider family. And, you know, we use family as a broad term. If, if you say that, that guy's like a brother to me. Okay, he can call too. I mean, mm -hmm. anyone can call. And, and our peers are from the Army, Navy, Air Force, and Marine Corps, male and female, and from every era of conflict, from Vietnam forward, uh, you can call. And once you call us, uh, we, we then talk about a time for us to call you back so we stay connected as long as you want. You'll see our tagline on the screens, Discover the Power of Connection, mm -hmm. all about connections. Uh, you can go to our website as well and, and see there you can do a live chat through our website if you'd rather do that. Uh, 
but we talked to a lot of people. We've been, uh, been Vets Warriors have been around over 10 years now. So mm-hmm. 10 years in last December. So we're coming up on 11 years, uh, over 700,000 contacts and 93 consecutive hours of answering the phones. Wow. So, so if you're out there and you think, you know, I'm, I don't want to be the only one that's ever called. You're not a lot of, we have a lot of, a lot of people calling and, um, everyone's going through something. And so our, our goal is to be upstream. Our, our goal at Vets Warriors is call before you get to point to a point of crisis. Call us early on when you're struggling, no matter what it is, whether it's employment, your relationships, if you, mental health, whatever, whatever you're struggling with, call us. If you're having sad feelings, call us. Let's connect. Let's talk. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll, you'll talk to another veteran who gets it. Yeah. And I'm so glad you do that with, I mean, on the other side of the line, it's a veteran that's answering the phone. So you're also giving them some meaning to their lives, right? Right. And it's a live answer. So you don't get a voicemail, you get a veteran answering the phone and it's a live call within 30 seconds. And, and that one is most people are surprised when someone answers the phone, but then when they find out it's a veteran on the other end, you can almost feel their anxiety go down a little bit. Like, okay, because they're talking to someone else who they know cares. And they relate to, yeah, they relate the start. They relate to the, to the the challenges that they go through, the service that they went through, and the lifestyle, all right. of that. And then we connect you to, you know, then we we help connect them to resources if they're looking for resources. We help them connect to those. But even when we connect them to resources, we follow up and call them back uh, when it's good for them. And uh, what we find is they they like to be able to have somebody to talk to about it. You know, mm-hmm. did, you, did you go see someone? Did you get help? I did. Okay. How'd that go? Did it go okay? Are you mm-hmm. doing better? Are you feeling better? Is it, is it helping? And, and uh, what else is going on? Because more, as we all know, more, more often than not, it's more than one thing going on in your life at any one time. You know, there's a lot of stressors out there. And oftentimes I say, you know, we, we kind of break it down from a fire hose of, of things going on in your life to a, to a garden hose. Let's talk about one or two things at a time here. What's, what's challenging them the most for you right now? And uh, let's work on that together. And we stay on the journey as long as they want, mm-hmm. yeah. as long as they want. So, uh, and our goal is resilience and well-being and wellness. And we just want them to to get back on track and and uh, be able to thrive again. Mm-hmm. And just one more question about that, because I know it's important in terms of confidentiality, because of all again the stigma and all of that. They want to know what would will the system know that I'm calling? So great, let's great. talk about that. Yes, yeah, it's, it's confidential. It could be anonymous too. I mean, we don't even know if you're giving us your real name. I mean, that's, you know, your name's, you know, we like to know your name. It's important, but it, what's important is we're helping. We're there to help you. So when you call, we had a we had a person call one time and then you wanted to talk to the boss. So we they transferred the call into me and usually, you know, I'm like, oh, and uh, he said, I wanted to talk to someone I was, I, I didn't know and I was never going to meet. And, uh, and he said, knowing that your line is confidential made all the difference for me, that I could talk to somebody live and confidentially, and that it wasn't going to go anywhere. So we, we, don't, we don't get funding from DOD. We don't get funding from the VA. So we're separate from that. So we, you know, we, uh, we don't share your information with anyone else. It's confidential. It stays with us. Perfect. And that's very important because people need a place they can call and trust and know that they can, they can say whatever they want. And it's not going to go anywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, let's end with a smile. Tell me about your grandkids. <laughs> Is it better than having kids? I've heard that because uh, you don't have just, the, all the responsibility. <laughs> it's just pure joy. Uh, <laughs> grandchildren are just pure joy. And and Carol is gone. She she left today to go over to New York to be with the kids. 
uh, and I'll join them tomorrow. So cool. uh, we spend time as much as we can, but they are, you know, our oldest grandchild is Beckett. Uh-huh. Beckett Lee, our grandson's name is Graham, Graham uh-huh. James. Okay. And uh, our youngest grandchild is, is Cassidy Bell. So we have three wonderful grandchildren. Of course, as, as typical grandparents, you think yours are the, the brightest, the, you know, and, uh, and that's the way it should be. So being a grandparent's wonderful and uh, we yeah. thoroughly enjoy it. And uh, we, we enjoy getting to see our daughter, Melanie, be a mom yeah. and our son-in-law, Joe, get to be a dad and they're wonderful parents. And, yeah. and uh, it's good to see, I'm sure it's very rewarding to see your values and you look at them as okay, okay they're, because they're, you model them as parents, right? And you look at them, so oh, that's what I used to do. That's what Carrie used to do. Yeah, it's always interesting to see you know, when they get to a point, you know, because you can you can almost see, OK, I see what you're going through raising us. I, I you know, I, I get it now, you know. And so it's a, it really is just joy. I mean, we just love being around the grandkids. It's also nice to give them a break so they can oh, yeah. go out and have a date night or, or whatever and get some time together because it's tough. They both work and the, uh, uh, you know, time is valuable. And uh, I remember our son-in-law, Joe, said after they had Beckett, uh, shortly after they had Beckett, we were over in their apartment in New York, and he looked at me and he goes, I'm not sure what we did with all of our time before we had her. <laughs> I mean, I think we can all relate I'm to sure, that, you know? I'm sure you have a sense of, uh, did that just waste all my time? Because I don't even remember what I did before. <laughs> I know, before kids, you know, what'd you do with all that time? But, uh, yeah, so no, yeah. That's great. They, uh, they're wonderful parents, and uh, yeah. we're proud of them and, and all they're doing. And what, What's your favorite activity to do with the kids? You know, I like them all. You have a favorite, I, yeah? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'm not sure if I have a favorite. I, I you know, we like to read to them and they, uh, uh-huh. but I, I think part of a favorite is, is when their imaginations and they're doing things, we just go along with them. And I think yeah. that's so fun to see their minds just, you know, come up with ideas and, and they'll and say, do, you know, we want to do that. Okay, let's do that. You join you, in. You know, this is a, this is a train, jump on the train. It's just a bunch of, it's just a bunch of pillows and you jump on the train with them and they have so much fun doing it. And, and, uh, they just, need so little, don't they? Yeah, they, uh, yeah. they, they just, they're wonderful. They grow up so yeah. fast. It's hard to believe how, how they are already. Well, Mark, thank you so much for your time, for all the service you've done for this country and you still do for your community. Send my love to your family. Thank you for being here with us. Thank you, Paula. And, and my best is to you and, and everyone else out there listening or watching. You know, uh, Please be gentle gentle to yourself and uh, each other. Thank you all. And for yeah. each and every one of you, I'm so sorry for your loss. You've been listening to Understand Suicide, the podcast of journalist and therapist, Paula Fontanelli. If you've been touched by suicide and believe your story might help others, please consider contacting Paula through her website, understandsuicide.com.